The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. So nobody's paying attention to the most critical infrastructure, not the racist roads, but food, water, energy, transportation infrastructure, food, water, energy infrastructure. What does that add up to? Oh, that adds up to a country. You can't have a country without those things. And in every single case, whatever the cause, our food, water, energy, and infrastructure are being degraded. Who knows why? If you didn't know any better, you'd think there might be a war going on. Why is no one talking about this? That's from uh, Tucker Carlson's monologue last night. If you didn't know any better, you'd think we were at war. I mean, look at, we've got all these train crashes. We talked to you yesterday about the, uh, the environmental disaster in Ohio. And right after the show's over, two more train crashes in South Carolina, Texas. And then the, the, the food shortages, the problem with the food processing plants, some of them going up in flames, chickens can't lay eggs. You've got people dying suddenly. We've got more on that on today's program. What is happening in our world today? What is happening to the United States? You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us today on uh, our show. We, uh, we can get to the live stream of this show, of course, through the, the website. That would be thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can watch every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. You can also watch on demand and have the program downloaded to your device as well. I mentioned last week that we're streaming the show live on Rumble now, so we're working to try to, we're starting from scratch basically, but we're working to try to build up an audience on other platforms as best we can. So yesterday I talked about how that the, the war against the balloons, how that it serves as a, a perfect distraction for this illegitimate administration that's attacking this nation. Let's be honest, it's attacking the United States from within. We're seeing the entire system break down in front of us. You think back to that 1956 quote from Herbert Armstrong, the goal of this Marxist infiltration, in the end, it's to bring down the whole system, to bring down the government. And then, of course, they're so foolish in their reasoning, they think that they can somehow replace it with this, this Marxist utopia. It's never worked. It's never worked. It's been tried all over the world. In fact, it's been a disaster, and people by the millions, by the tens of millions, have died because of it, and yet they persist. This was, uh, I thought this was really revealing yesterday. You've got Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he's out there saying, hey, no policies have changed, we're just doing what we always do. Shooting down balloons every day, it's it's perfectly normal, We've, we've always had this policy. Listen to this exchange. This is between uh, a reporter. This is at the White House press briefing with John Kirby. He's, he's the spokesman for the Pentagon uh, or the State Department. I forget which. But listen to this exchange between the two. Clip 10. 
In that ODNI report uh, about unidentified aerial phenomena, it says there were 247 unidentified aerial phenomenon reports since March of 2021, some of which have, quote, demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities. So can you say why the president just recently, within the last couple of weeks, started ordering some of these objects to be shot down and why there weren't any orders throughout 2021 or throughout 2022? It's very, it's very simple. It comes down to what sort of safety and security threats and risk we're, we're talking about. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, it comes down to a lot to our ability to, to, track, to track, detect, and engage. Having come from the Pentagon, I can tell you that some of these UAPs, um, uh, while we may not be able to know what each and every one is doing, some of the big concern there was that um, a lot, not many of those reports were happening around our training ranges, were happening around air training ranges. So combat pilots were seeing these things. It was close to our uh, our bases, and so combat pilots were seeing it. That's why we had to send them up to Yukon in the north of Canada, the Yukon of all places, to shoot down one of the balloons. Tucker said there's unconfirmed reports that one of them might have been a weather balloon, a weather balloon. We send the F-22s all the way across Canada because it's a threat somehow to the United States of America? What, as I said at the top, what is going on? What is going on? 247 UAPs in the past two years, as the reporter points out, these are from government statistics, and now we're shooting them down? We're sh- as soon as we see them, we're, we're shooting them out. We're using Sidewinder missiles. And by the way, the one over Lake Huron, the first shot was a miss. Where did the Sidewinder missile land? We're worried about the public. We're worried about combat pilots. We're worried about balloon debris. So we've got to wait until it's off over the Atlantic or over Lake Huron. What about a Sidewinder missile? that happens to miss the target. Where did that end up? Nobody knows. Where's the debris? Nobody knows. This was Laura Ingram last night talking about the misfire clip uh, or missing the target, clip six. What do you think these objects are, Senator? I mean, one's described as cylindrical, one's described as octagonal, uh, one's described as like silver metallic, smaller balloon. What are these? Uh, do you find it interesting that one of our um, uh, one of our shots missed the balloon? It is interesting, but it's also perfect, isn't it? This is an administration that's been missing its target for two years, and so here's this experienced pilot, one would think, and it misses the target and lands. Who knows where? Who knows where? This is a Defense Secretary Austin. He's, he's mask-free, thankfully. Uh, I don't know where he was traveling yesterday, but he had an exchange. He had a brief statement followed by an exchange with reporters. This is how that went down, clip five. I want to be clear. The three objects taken down this weekend are very different from what we were talking about last week. We knew exactly what that was. Mr. Secretary, have you been able to recover any part of the most recent three objects? And why continue to call them objects? Are these not balloons? 
Well, uh, we're going to confirm what they are once we have collected the debris. But to answer your question, uh, we've not recovered any debris from the three most recent shootouts. In the statement, he talks about how that this is very different from the Chinese spy balloon. Uh, in that case, we knew exactly what it was. We knew exactly what it was doing. And you could add to that, so we let it fly right across the country. No problem. In this case, we don't know what it was. They're all in different shapes, like Laura Ingram brings out. One's in the shape of an octagon. We have no one cylindrical. We have no idea. But we shot it down. We shot it down. And have you collected the debris? Not yet. Not yet. I mean, it was last Friday, uh, then Sunday, then another one, uh, Saturday, then Sunday. And we still don't know. The, lake one, the, the one over Lake Huron, the one at the Yukon, the one in Alaska, have no idea. Just shoot it down. Just shoot it down. That's the new policy. But at least we know now, fo just following on from yesterday's program, at least we know now that it wasn't an alien invasion. This is uh, from a couple of press conferences yesterday, clip one. I know there have been questions and, and concerns about this, but there is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity <laughs> with these recent takedowns. Again, there is no indication of aliens or terrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. My understanding is that uh, the top officials of the Pentagon, when asked explicitly if uh, they were ruling out any kind of extraterrestrial presence said they weren't ruling anything out. And yet at the beginning of today's briefing, albeit with her usual winning smile, uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre seemed to rule out any extraterrestrial activity. I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft, period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. I think what's revealing here is the laughter. She, she gets that, we played you General, what was it, Von Herc, I think yesterday, who said he's not ruling out anything. And, and so they have to kind of walk that back and say, look, it's not aliens. Don't worry. It's nothing extraterrestrial. Don't worry. And then the, the, the press pool, they, they just start chuckling. It's so funny. It's so, we have to actually address the aliens. We have to address whether or not it's an alien invasion. Even the whole balloon story. I mean, Secretary Austin won't even use the word balloon because he knows how ridiculous this is. I mean, okay, if it's a spy balloon that could carry three buses inside of it, and it's got the camera gear, and it's flying over bases, shoot it down. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it until it completed its mission. Now it's just shoot down the balloon. Whether it's in the shape of an octagon, if it's a weather balloon, doesn't matter. This is the new policy. Oh, yes. Perfect distraction, as I say. And then, again, speaking of the laughter and the fact that this is a big joke, this is the transportation secretary. Yesterday, Pete Buttigieg, he's talking about some of the challenges that his department has had to face over the last two years. Listen to clip four. Uh, I mean, if you look at what the American transportation systems have faced in the last two or three years, partly because of the pandemic, we've faced issues from container shipping, to airline cancellations. Mm -hmm. Now we got balloons. That's right. Um. <laughs> Again, the laughter, but he set it up as a joke. That's the transportation secretary. Now we've got balloons. He's one of the few in the administration that came out. I think Chuck Schumer said the same thing. He's one of the few that came out and actually said, yeah, they're balloons. The rest are saying, well, they're unidentified objects, and we won't know for sure what they are until we retrieve the remains. And they haven't gotten anything yet. 
But there he is. The tra- and notice what he doesn't bring up. All of the challenges. He's over transportation. That would be planes, trains, automobiles. He's over it all. And he doesn't mention the trains. I don't know. Again, what about the moderator or the, the interviewer in that case? Buttigieg doesn't even bring it up what happened in Ohio. And then, as I say, there's two more train wrecks in South Carolina and Houston last night or yesterday afternoon. The one in Houston evidently had more toxic materials on board. This is crazy what's happening. How could you look at all this and, and just conclude that this is normal? I mean, you have to. You, you have to at least consider sabotage. You have to at least consider the fact that this country is under attack, whether from without or within. We know, we know added to that, of course, that we're being cursed for our many sins. We know we've got an illegitimate administration that's heading all of this up. Inflation's going back up. I don't know if I'll have time to play the montage. But we're seeing everything. This, the whole system is just crumbling right before our eyes. And people are laughing. If, if that's a, a, an audience that's presumably... They're supportive of this administration and Pete Buttigieg. If they're laughing, if the White House press pool is laughing, what must, may, what must they be doing at the Kremlin or in Beijing? Vladimir, they shot down another weather balloon. <laughs> it's a big joke. It's a big joke. People know it at home and people know it abroad. This story in Ohio. It's just getting worse with each passing day. Of course, the, the reaction, when you look at the federal government, initially, I played the clips for you yesterday. Initially, there's a big explosion. There's a mushroom cloud. You know, the mainstream media, they were right on top of it at the start. But then they started to reconsider and to think about the narrative, to think about the political implications. And now they've gone silent. I was happy to see at least that Fox News uh, covered it quite extensively last night. It was on Newsmax as well. But the, the legacy media, for the most part, they're just ignoring this environmental disaster that happened in eastern Ohio, right up against the border of Pennsylvania. This plume of toxic chemicals that's just floating in the air now. Some of it obviously seeping into the water system. That's why the dead fish, you had chickens dying overnight, animals getting sick, human beings getting headaches and and getting sick because of it. It'll probably be a much slower process with human beings, but uh, what will it be like? If time were to go on long enough, how many cases of cancer would we have? New cases of cancer would we have 5 or 10 or 15 years down the road because of this? I mean, this is the kind of thing they make movies out of. They used to anyway. But now it hits eastern Ohio and they, I mean, it's 70% Trump support. So, uh, you know, we don't want to care too much about what happens there. And, and certainly not while it's under the Biden administration, because that could make him look bad. Joy Reid was one exception. She at least brought it up last night. But notice, notice who she blames. Clip eight. Theodore Roosevelt sought to end business monopolies like theirs, going after a railroad holding company that threatened to monopolize rail traffic across the western United States. But then Ronald Reagan undid much of that, and Donald Trump made it even worse. Fast forward to today, where an environmental disaster is currently unfolding in the town of East Palestine, Ohio. Fast forward to today. The typical lazy 
predictable journalism or what passes for it. Donald Trump, bad orange man, he made it worse. Fast forward to today, you could, if time were to go on long enough, a hundred years from now, they'd be talking about Donald Trump. And of course, the oncoming generation would say, Donald who? Who are you talking about? Trump, bad orange man, he's the problem. Fast, for, fast forward a hundred years, and here's why we're experiencing all of these disasters. It's Donald Trump's fault. Listen to this laugh out loud statement from John Kirby, again, the Pentagon spokesman from yesterday, clip seven. But we were able to determine that China has a high altitude balloon program for intelligence collection that's connected to the People's Liberation Army. It was operating during the previous administration, but they did not detect it. We detected it. We tracked it. And we have been carefully studying it to learn as much as we can. I like how he says it, it operated under the previous administration. That's the bad orange man, Donald Trump. And they, he worked for the previous administration. He was in the pen. He's a career bureaucrat. Don't you like it how they separate? It's like, it's like Donald Trump, uh, we didn't exist in his, in his universe. We were over here. When, when he didn't, they didn't know. Now we know. We know all about the balloons. Then a reporter says, uh, but haven't there been 247 UAPs in the last two years? That's your administration. And he says, well, now listen. They're flying up next to our bases. I mean, our pilots are in danger. So we got to send them to the Yukon. This is a train wreck. This is a disaster. This is a nation that's crumbling right in front of us. And, and these people, these people, they're hiding behind balloons and things of that nature. A joke. The press pool laughs. The people listening to Buttigieg, even as he doesn't even bring up the train wreck and the environmental disaster. Doesn't even bring it up. I mean, he is so green that he'll drive to work and then get out of the car a mile before and hop on his bike so that the cameras can see that Pete Buttigieg is all in on the green revolution. Where, as I said yesterday, where are the environmentalists? Where's the climate cult when you need them? You've got plumes of toxic chemicals just billowing into the air? into the water system, a chemical fire in Ohio. And how is this not front page news all across the country? How is it not the lead story? Something as significant as this, well, because they just want to ignore it and cover it up, unless it serves their political agenda. You can see, even with the environmentalist movement, you can see how that the regime, the Democrat, the Democrat Party comes first, and then there's the environmental movement. Then there's the, the cult of climate change and all, that, all, that, uh, all those religious movements, those faiths, as I said on yesterday's show. But above all, you've got to submit to the regime. The regime. You've got to submit to Joe Obama. He calls the shots. And if we're to cover up the disaster in eastern Ohio, then just cover it up. Pretend like it, it just didn't happen. This is another subject that Buttigieg brought up yesterday in that discussion. Listen to this. This is what they're concerned with. Even when you have these mass explosions, these train wrecks that are now happening every other day. Clip three. 
We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a neighborhood, often a neighborhood of color, that finally sees the project come to them, but everyone in the hard hats on that project looking like, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing the good paying jobs, don't look like they came from anywhere near the neighborhood. Right. So the construction workers in hard hats, there's too many white guys, and we need to get more men of color in there, or men and women, of course, and transgenders and everything else. That's what he's concerned about. These are the pressing issues for Mayor Pete, as many commentators have pointed out, as the mayor of that, that town, I think it was in Indiana somewhere, known for its potholes. He couldn't even fix the roads in his own city. And now he's heading up transportation in the United States of America. And you can't even get him to talk about the train wreck. These are unusual times. You look at some of the other environmental disasters, Deepwater Horizon, just to go back a few years, made a movie about it. I mean, that was in the news. You had the, the, the seagulls covered in oil. Oh, people were sounding the alarm. This is terrible. We've got to stop drilling oil. We've got to stop drilling oil in these uh, seaports, these, these gulfs, these, the, in the ocean. Get rid of those drills. There it fits. You see, it fits the narrative per perfectly. Now, you know, they're not going to be, be making a movie about this one. Not anytime soon. I played that quote for you yesterday. It was from a clip. The guy who said, we basically nuked a town with chemicals so we could get the railroad open. And this railroad, I forget the name of it, but it, fly, it comes up the, the, the eastern seaboard. And basically, the, the whole idea here, let's just get this problem taken care of as fast as is possible. It's, you know, and there's a lot of debate as to whether you try to contain it or blow it up, or they, the controlled fire that they opted for. And maybe it was a tough decision. Who knows? I don't know all the science of it. I never was a chemist. But it was either seeping into the water or let's blow it up into the air. Either way. It's a disaster. Either way, you've got chemicals spreading all over human population. We blew, we blew it up to get the, trail, the, the railroad back open. This was the timeline. It happened, the wreck, that is. February the 3rd, just out of East Palestine, Ohio. 50 cars, something between 10 and 20 containing these toxic chemicals. And then February 6th, that's three days later, that's when officials decided to opt for the controlled release. You know, burn it up into the atmosphere, burn it up into the air, set off the, and of course then all the images, the plumes of smoke, the mushroom cloud. This is from ABC, a local affiliate there in Ohio. It says, the controlled release prevented a catastrophe, but officials acknowledge that venting vinyl chloride I guess that's the worst one that's mo the most uh, cancer-causing chemical in the mix. But venting vinyl chloride into the air also came with a major risk. Gases so dangerous they can kill entering city streets, homes, and businesses. It quotes this one expert, Fabasiak, explained that vinyl chloride, which is a gas at room temperature, also transforms into other chemicals when it catches fire. Several of those combustion products of vinyl chloride are potential health dangers, he said. Among the dangers are, gas are, are gases called phosgene and hydrogen chloride. It says phosgene had the potential to be immediately dangerous if it was present. After all, he said, it, it has been used as a deadly chemical warfare agent in the trenches of World War I. This is what's spreading over Ohio, unbelievably. 
and, and perhaps worse. They're finding traces of these, these chemicals. Uh, I think it's a couple hundred miles down the Ohio River, and that feeds into the, Missouri, uh, the Mississippi River. It says here, he said, uh, phosgene was likely present to some extent, but the question was, how much? We never burn things very efficiently, Fabisiak said, and that large cloud of smoke that you saw says that you're not burning things efficiently. There's obviously something there besides carbon dioxide and water. So the other part of this that many have criticized, besides the decision to just send it up in flames, is that they evacuated the township where the accident happened. We're assuming it's an accident. They evacuated the township and then invited them back uh, less than 24 hours later. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. We blew it up. Uh, we're going to fix the railroad right away. We'll get those trains back in operation. Just go back to your home. You might want to run some tests at your home. You might, like I played for you yesterday, you might want to get a health checkup just so that you have the, the record. But go ahead. <laughs> Return to your home. This guy that Tucker interviewed last night said he'd had a headache all day. He returned to his home, as they said that he could, and he said he's, he's had a headache ever since. What is going wrong? What's happening? A lot of people, as I say, have complained about uh, not just the fact that they were returned. that they're, if, And just compare it. I was thinking this morning, too, when you compare the reaction. And here again, it's a totally different story in one respect. But it just shows you something about what was happening in 2020 with the emergence of COVID. And then everything, not just in one tiny community in eastern Ohio, everything sh shut down uh, right across the western world. I mean, it's the flu. We can't let the flu spread. It was a man-made flu. It was maybe a little worse than the, the ordinary flu. But we can't let it spread, so we'll shut everything down. And they did it for months. In some nations, it was over a year. Here, it's less than 24 hours. Everything's back to normal. Go back to your homes. Send the kids back to school. No problem. What a difference. What a different approach. And you've got all of these toxic chemicals spreading over these townships in eastern Ohio. Here's the mushroom cloud. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable the way the authorities are approaching this. You've got some pretty good coverage in, uh, locally, news-wise. And then, as I say, you at least have Fox News. You've got Newsmax. Now, added to that, you've got you know, senators and congressmen and women in, in, in representing Ohio. You've got the governor of Ohio. So this is a story that, that can't completely be erased. It can't just be covered up. But as to why the mainstream won't cover it, well, it always gets back to serving the regime. The regime comes first. If you do cover it, you know, just use the bad, the bad orange man as an excuse. He, he's the one. He's the problem. He's the cause. This is from the Washington Post. It says, though vinyl chloride is a carcinogen, the, the worst effects have generally been documented over uh, after long-term or high-volume exposure, according to federal reports. It says short-term exposure to low-level substances associated with the derailment does not present a long-term health risk to residents, Norfolk Southern said. This is the railroad. This is the, the, the company. They said this in a fact, a fact sheet. So we'll see. I mean, they're like Pfizer. they got to cover their tracks. Look, it's, it's not going to be a problem. Don't worry about it. And what happens when 10, 15 years from now people start turning up with cancer because of this? 
toxic chemical. This is from Quartz, the publication. It says, one community in New Jersey can attest to that fact. In 2012, a train crashed in Paulsboro, spilling 23,000 gallons of vinyl chloride, the same chemical involved in the East Palestine spill. A 2014 study conducted in the New Jersey Department of Health found that half of the local residents had health problems caused by the chemical spill. Just half. Half the local residents. It's pretty amazing, as I say. When you look at all, when you look at all that's going on around us, as Tucker said, you could be forgiven for, for thinking, are, are we being attacked? <laughs> is, is, are we being attacked from without, from within? What's going on? And then add to that all these cases of people collapsing suddenly. Damar Hamlin, he made, he's the one who collapsed in that Bills game with the Bengals back at the early part of January. He appeared at the Super Bowl, had some kind of weird attire on. But then uh, yesterday, he sits down with, uh, I think it's ABC. Listen to this exchange between the reporter and Hamlin, clip 11. You're 24, peak physical condition. Could run circles around me right now. (laughs) (laughs) How did doctor describe what happened to you? Um, um, That's something I want to stay away from. I know from my experience at the NFL, they do more tests than anything. And in the course of you having your physical, did anybody ever come back with any, say you had a heart issue or anything that was abnormal? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I've always been a, a, a healthy, young, fit, energetic, uh, you know, human being, let alone mm-hmm. athlete. Um, so it, it was something that was just, that we, we still processing and I'm still talking through with my doctors just to see what everything was. He collapsed of a heart attack in early January. Here we are in mid-February, okay, so we're six weeks forward. It's not that far from the actual event. And remember the reaction? Remember the talking heads that rushed to the microphone right in front of the camera to tell you what happened, the cause. The key question there, he says, how did doctors describe what happened to you? And then Hamlin says, that's something I'm going to stay away from. I'm not going to answer. Nobody stayed away from it the moment that it happened. You had all of the so-called experts to just reassure you that it wasn't the vaccine. They said, remember commotio cordis? Remember the blunt force against the heart? It was the hard hit, like they never have those in football. He got hit in the heart, and so there was this sudden trauma that just tri- has to happen right at the right time, right at the certain beat of the heart, and then it sets off a heart attack. That's what they said. So why didn't he say that? How easy it would have been to say, well, it was the hard hit. Triggered a heart attack. I was hel- Before that time, I was a healthy 24-year-old running circles around people. As it is, he said, mm, I don't want to get into that. I just want to stay away from it. This is from ESPN yesterday. Belgian goalkeeper Arnie Espiel died after he collapsed on the pitch on Saturday, just the other day, over the weekend. Died on Saturday, moments after saving a penalty for his team. He was 25. Happened during the game, just like the Hamlin heart attack. 
happened during the game. Happens all the time, right? Of course it does. This is from ESPN. ESPN doesn't seem concerned about this. Okay, we just had Hamlin. Now you go over to Belgium, and it happened. It just happened again on Saturday, right during a game. Collapses, has a heart attack. In this case, he dies. It says Winkle Sport B, who played in the second provincial division of West Brabant in Belgium. They were up two to one against Westro Zabik when their opponents were awarded a penalty in the second half. It says, according to reports in Belgian media, Espiel saved the spot kick but dropped to the ground afterward. Emergency services rushed to help Espiel to try and tried to revive him with a defib- defibrillator, but he was pronounced dead shortly after he was taken to a hospital. At least ESPN covers it. But of course, you can be sure there's nothing in there about the vaccine. Nothing to, nothing to worry about here. Just carry on. Carry on. This is normal. This is the new normal. These athletes in peak health condition just collapsing all over the place. Listen to this one doctor. His name is Dr. Joel Rudman. And he's brave enough to, again, he's brave enough to go there. He better be careful. This is clip 13. Just found out that an old good friend of mine who's roughly my age had passed away this weekend, another victim of sudden cardiac death. And it seems like we're hearing these reports all too commonly nowadays. I can tell you as a physician, prior to 2020, I had maybe one patient total who just dropped dead suddenly. It's a very rare thing to have happen. Here in the last year or two, it seems like we've heard dozens of these stories among people that we know friends of ours. So something is going on. Uh, The numbers are terribly skewed here as of late. Normally, I can tell you as a physician, people succumb to chronic injuries, right? Chronic, chronic disease, things like renal failure, liver failure, respiratory failure. Maybe you've been fighting off of pneumonia in the hospital for three to four weeks. We are seeing an exponential rise specifically in sudden cardiac death. And something's got to be causing it. He went on to say, I should have maybe played that part as well, but he went on to say that I think you might know, you know, what is dramatically different about our society over the last couple of years as compared to before. It's the vaccine, obviously. So he doesn't go all the way there, but he goes there. You got to give him credit. Good for him. An exponential rise in sudden cardiac arrest deaths. As he says, most times it's, you know, you've got some chronic condition where maybe you're in the hospital for a number of weeks. As it is, DeMar Hamlin, I mean, he's coming out for the big football game. You've got the goalkeeper coming out. He makes an incredible save to save the game. And then he collapses suddenly. He dies suddenly. What is going on? And how much? It's obviously a lot of this is affecting many nations around the world. But, but just to concentrate on the United States here, you see the entire system crumbling before us. How many disasters can we sustain before there's just a complete and total meltdown? I don't have time to play for you the montage about inflation working its way now back up. Went down for a few, you know, 8 9% last summer, and it was trickling down a little bit, and the Biden people were bragging about that. Oh, it's so much better. Look at what we're doing. And then the numbers come out this morning. I, meant, I mentioned this Federalist piece 
I think it was last week, the year America's basic systems started to crumble. What happens when the basic systems start to crumble? Federalist says, far from uh, the year America settled into normalcy, 2022 was the year the basic systems we all count on started to break down. This is giving a year in review of 2022. It says, chaos in Washington, madness at the airport, holiday hangovers. The first month of 2023 was familiar enough. What might seem less familiar to Americans, however, are the cracks appearing in our walls. The whole structure is going to come tumbling down. And this is prophesied. The United States and Britain in prophecy. It's across the table there. But if you don't have a copy of that masterwork of Bible prophecy, where we fit into the grand scheme of things prophetically, the U.S., the single greatest superpower in history, and, and Great Britain, the United Kingdom. Call our operators today, one 930 3024 and request Herbert Armstrong's work. It's gone to six million addresses around the world. Tens of millions of people have read this book. When you go back to the early 1940s up to today, it's been around. I mean, it's been around for 80 years, this text. And a lot of people have been jolted by it. A lot of people have really acted on this material. And you can too. Call that number you see there on your screen and request the United States and Britain in prophecy. It says here just this last quote from the Federalist. Today, in the first month of 2023, we don't have the luxury of thinking it's all going to get better because far from the year America changed course and settled into normalcy, has that in quotes, 2022 was the year the basic behind-the-scenes systems we all count on started to break down People struggled to buy a car, baby formula, moved beyond locked counters, behind locked counters where the cigarettes used to be sold. Baby aspirin and other simple medicines were in such high demand. Friends and neighbors worked together to supply the most vulnerable. Container ships backed up for weeks while their contents rotted. It says diesel shortages threatened the lifeblood of the American economy. And I mean, that's not even just the half of it. It's not even talking about the border, inflation, skyrocketing costs for food, fuel. The system, the nation, is crumbling. You're listening to Stephen Fleury, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to submit some feedback to the show, you can email us, td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. The Trumpet Daily. One third of your Bible is prophecy, and 90% of it is for our time today. This is why when you study Bible prophecy, you often read statements like, in that day, in the last days, and at the time of the end. Biblical prophecy is what makes the Bible so relevant to today, so essential to understanding our modern world. Most people, even in the world of religion, Assume that nations like Britain, America, Germany, Russia, and China are not mentioned in Bible prophecy. But if prophecy is mainly for our time today, how could the Bible ignore some of the most powerful and prominent nations of today? The key to understanding prophecy is knowing the biblical identities of modern nations. Learn about these identities in Herbert W. Armstrong's book, 
the United States and Britain in Prophecy. In this book, you will learn about the astonishing identity of the American and British people in biblical prophecies. Request your free copy today. The United States and Britain in Prophecy. The Trumpet Daily. The Trumpet Daily is produced and filmed primarily on the beautiful Herbert W. Armstrong College campus in Edmond, Oklahoma. Campus has many beautiful buildings, including the John Amos Fieldhouse, the main hub of campus activity, the Hall of Administration, our primary staff building, and Armstrong Auditorium, our $20 million performing arts facility. The buildings and grounds crew constantly works to beautify and improve campus landscape and facilities. Staff have made many enhancements and additions to campus over the past year, including new agriculture barns, improvements to the pond outside the men's dormitory, which was used for water polo during the 2022 summer educational program, and several new pastures for sheep and cattle. During winter break, AC students assisted with remodeling and repainting the men's dormitory. The student computer lab in the John Amos Fieldhouse was also modernized and updated. The agriculture staff is currently working on two new greenhouses, which will be used to supply the food services department with vegetables year-round and to germinate decorative plants for campus landscaping. The new exercise gym, located near the John Amos Fieldhouse, is also nearing completion. Each of these campus developments has helped beautify and improve the headquarters campus of the work of God, providing an uplifting and inspiring environment for staff, students, church members, and visitors. As Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry wrote in the January 2010 Trumpet, that is what we are striving to achieve on this campus, to make it a small foretaste of the wonderful world tomorrow. The Trumpet Daily. That was News of the Work, our newest segment that we hope to incorporate into Tuesday's shows. We'll see if we can uh, keep pace with that. It's always a challenge to keep up with uh, another weekly demand or weekly deadline, but we'll see what we can do. We have uh, boosted our staff somewhat for this program. Uh, at the start of this calendar year. So uh, we'd like to do more of those special features, if at all possible. But a great uh, overview of life here at the headquarters campus of the Philadelphia Church of God and Herbert W. Armstrong College. There's a lot going on on these 170 acres, lots of buildings, lots of structures, lots of uh, school activities, lots of outdoor work, indoor work, lots of uh, <laughs> designing magazines and literature. Everything's produced in-house. Obviously, we use out, you know, we outsource the, the actual printing, uh, to take the example of editorial, uh, but all the design, all the editing, all of the, the, the work to produce the content it takes place on that beautiful campus that you saw there in many of those aerial shots in that new segment, News of the Work. Today I want to concentrate in the minutes that we have left. I want to concentrate on just uh, emphasizing this point again about drawing closer to God in order to be able to stand in that evil day. It says in Ephesians 6 and verse 13 that we want to do everything that we can to be able to stand in that evil day, there's so many, so many forces of resistance that we're going up against 
And yet God says, stand fast. Watch, pray always, said Jesus, that you may be able to stand. God wants us to stand strong in these times when most people are just compromising. They're caving into pressure. They're going along with the mob. Notice Mark 9, verse 17. We'll begin here. It says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son, which has a dumb spirit or a, a demonic spirit, and uh, wheresoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams, this, this young man, I think he was a young adult by this point, but he foams, he gnashes with his teeth and pines away. And I spoke to your disciples, and they should not cast him out, or they couldn't cast out this demon. It says here in verse 19, he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now the commentaries are split here as to whether he's addressing, whether Jesus is addressing the multitude. You know, how long have I been with you and, uh, and still you're faithless? Or if Christ maybe is more pointedly referring to his disciples. I mean, this man came up and said, I, I, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. What's the problem? And whether Christ is addressing the multitude or his disciples specifically, either way, this, this represented some pretty sharp rebuke coming from the Messiah. You know, look, are, are, haven't you been with me enough to know that you've got to walk by faith? You've got to have unwavering faith. Verse 22 Sorry, verse 20, it says, And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell to the ground, and he wallowed, foaming. Verse 21, And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came in unto him? And he said, Of a child. He had had this demonic spirit since he was just a little boy. And oftentimes it has cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So here is a distraught father crying out to Christ for help. He needed help. And this is, this is true of us as well. We need help, and we need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to Jesus Christ for help, for deliverance, for assistance, for healing, for divine intervention. Verse 23, And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. So this was a man who did believe, at least to a point. He had some, some certain waverings going on in the back of his mind, as the next verse brings out. Verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but, but help you my unbelief. Help me, you know, where my faith is imperfect, where my faith is maybe wavering. Help me to have stronger belief. Help me, to, help me to have stronger faith. Increase my faith. The disciples had asked this in Luke 17. Give me the faith to move mountains. Give me the kind of faith where, where I won't stagger at your promises. Verse 25, And Jesus saw that the people came running together, and he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, You dumb and deaf spirit, I charge you, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the Spirit cried, verse 26, and rent him sore, 
and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, verse 27. He took him by the hand, and he lifted him up, and he arose. So this demon spirit cried out in anguish upon his departure, and that helpless young man just collapsed to the ground as if dead. And Christ lifted him up and said, Let's go forward. Now later on, the disciples gathered around Jesus Christ. They were embarrassed. They were wondering why they couldn't do what Jesus had just done. Verse 28, And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said to him, to them, sorry, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So Jesus Christ, he was so close to God, God the Father, because of prayer, and in this case fasting as well, he was really strengthened with might. He was filled with God's power, supernatural power. And he cast out this very obstinate and angry demon. And the demon protested, as I say, the, the son was left as dead. But then Jesus really reinforces here a powerful lesson in that we can't do these kinds of things by our own power or with maybe a little bit of faith or maybe with sure faith, but, but faith that wavers just a bit here and there. We've got to be strong in the Spirit. Jesus himself said, I can of my own strength do nothing. So he had to be close to God in order to perform this kind of mighty work, this wondrous work, in order to cast out this demon. As I say, this, this had to have been somewhat corrective for the disciples because this was Christ basically saying, look, you, the only way you're going to be able to overcome certain obstacles or problems is if you draw near to God in prayer and fasting. I mean, you've got to combine the two together. You've got to do both. That's what this passage is revealing. Now, obviously, you're not fasting every day like you, you do with prayer or like you pray. But occasionally, it needs to be combined with fasting. That's what the passage is revealing here. Cert- there's just certain challenges or difficulties there that we're going to encounter that we won't be ready for if we're not regularly fasting to draw closer to God. There are certain mountains that we won't be able to move without additional help from God. There are certain weaknesses or sins or addictions that we're not going to be able to overcome without additional help, power, and strength from God our Father. And that can come through prayer and fasting. In Mark chapter 9 and uh, verse 29 again, it says, Jesus said, this kind can come forth by nothing, nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Nothing else will do it but this, prayer and fasting. I was noting to our brethren recently that in the newer translations of this passage, the New International Version, for example, they translate verse 29 as, this kind can come out only by prayer. Why would the more modern translations leave out fasting? Why would they leave this out? The King James? 
the translation that was put together back in the early 1600s, it says prayer and fasting. Then the NIV comes along. I don't know when that was, perhaps the early 1900s, the mid-1900s. But they just leave it out. They leave out fasting. And you can see this in other instances. I'll leave it to you. You can look at Matthew 17, verse 21, and see where they, again, completely omitted the word fasting. It really is hard to believe. In that case, in Matthew 17, they just basically blotted out an entire verse from, uh, from the Bible. Another example, Acts 10, verse 30, Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. It says in verse 31, and the angel said, Cornelius, your prayer is heard, and your alms be are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Now, if you look at verse 30 again in the NIV, again, this is a more modern translation. It says, four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. So it just leaves out fasting. Why would, why would so many more modern translators strike that from the narrative? Well, it tells you a little bit about what people think. People in this world, even traditional Christians, what they might think about something like fasting. Well, that, that seems so... I mean, you, you read the verses in the Gospels about the Pharisees fasting twice in the week. I mean, it seems so extreme. Maybe we should just strike this. I mean, to be sure, the Pharisees did it as a big show. They did it for self-righteousness sake. But that doesn't mean that fasting if it's done in the right attitude, should just be struck from the record. Or that we shouldn't do it. Far from that. You see a lot of instances in the Old Testament and the New where it talks about fasting before God. If I have an opportunity later this week, hopefully I can flesh out the subject of what it means to fast before God or to fast in the right attitude. But that's all that we have time for, unfortunately, on today's show. So we just set the table for, hopefully, another study or two in the days ahead. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you want to email the show, you can reach us at tdatthetrumpet.com. Thanks for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>